Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, I'd like to talk about one of the most fascinating figures in the history of psychology. Gustav Theodor Fechner. He's one of the founders of the whole field of experimental psychology and in particular, the discipline known as psychophysics. Psychophysics is an important discipline in this sense. It was considered originally by philosophers such as Immanuel Kant to be impossible to develop a quantitative science of psychology because internal experiences weren't particularly quantifiable. But Fechner challenged that notion. He developed uh, a way of relating changes in an external stimulus to changes in internal perception. For example, if you have a light and you increase the intensity of that light, how much do you have to increase the intensity of the light before an observer notices the difference? Sometimes you can change the actual intensity and an observer won't even notice the difference. And in psychology, that was called the JND or just noticeable difference. When I was an undergraduate studying psychology at the University of Wisconsin back in the 1960s, this was considered very important. This was like the cutting edge of experimental psychology. And I engaged in experiments at the time based on Fechner's work using a device called a tachistoscope, which basically was a flashing light and you could vary the intensity and the speed of the light flashes. And uh, so, what we were looking at at that point was called the critical fusion frequency. How fast would the light have to flash before it seemed as if it wasn't flashing at all, but was a steady light? So, Fechner developed what was known as Fechner's Law, a mathematical relationship between changes in the stimulus, the external stimulus, and changes in the internal perception of that stimulus. And today, psychophysics is regarded as a legitimate branch of uh, psychology and it's an important branch because it, it is so very mathematical. And it seems to be a way of unifying the external world with the internal world of perception. Now, an interesting thing about Fechner is that uh, he was both a um, an empiricist and I think to some extent a positivist in the realm of science, certainly an experimentalist, but he was also a mystic. He wrote, for example, the little book of life after death. And you know who wrote an introduction to that book? None other than my hero, William James. But I have to say, James went much further than simply writing an introduction to Fechner's work. James, in his, one of his classic books, A Pluralistic Universe, really was subscribing to Fechner's metaphysics. You see, <laughs> let me say a little bit about Fechner. He was born in 1801. He died in 1880. 
seven. So he, he lived uh, 86 years, uh, and he had a long, productive life. However, his career was interrupted. Like William James, uh, he studied medicine. He got a degree in, in medicine, but he never practiced medicine. Ironically, after graduating with his medical degree, he was given a professorship in physics. At, uh, he was in his mid-30s, as I recall. and. At that point, he experienced a severe crisis in his life. He went blind. And uh, not only did he go blind, but uh, for some reason, it became impossible for him to digest food. And he was starving to death. People thought he, he was on the verge of dying when he had what could only be regarded, I think, as a miraculous cure. And, and as I understand the history of it, a friend of his or a colleague had a dream about him. And in the dream, she got the notion that he could be cured. He wasn't able to digest anything. He's starving to death. And in her dream, she had the idea to feed him pieces of ham or pork without any fat whatsoever, pure, lean pork. And he discovered he could eat it. And as a result of that, he nurtured himself back to health. And although people thought he, he was as good as dead, he ended up living another 40-some years and having a very productive career. Now, what is also noteworthy is that he had, as many people do in, in the throes of a great illness, they go into delirium and, and so on. He had what he regarded as a mystical experience. Now, I think he had a proclivity for mystical experiences even before that because uh, as a young man and still in his 20s, long before his illness, he was writing a satirical pieces under the pseudonym of Dr. Mises. Uh, and he wrote a book, for example, called The Comparative Anatomy of Angels. It's a rare book, hard to find. And, and as far as I know, it was written tongue in cheek, but it had mystical overtones. And this became a very important theme for him later in life. Although you have to understand that writing in uh, the middle of the 19th century, as he did, he was dealing with the great uh, German romantic idealist philosophers. Schopenhauer would have been a contemporary of his, for example. Hegel. Uh, these people were idealists as well, but he took issue with them in his own idealistic philosophy. It wasn't enough for him to say that, uh, you know, the universe is mental, the universe is psychic in its very nature. He went on to suggest that the universe was alive, organic, evolving, changing, bubbling, frothing, you might even say. And uh, he wrote uh, books under the pseudonym of Dr. Mises, but now they were not so much satirical as serious metaphysical philosophical texts. For example, uh, one of his books is called Nana, 
or the soul life of plants, in which he argued using very rigorous scientific logic, although not a lot of empirical evidence, uh, a little bit, I suppose, where he could find it, that plants were conscious. And in his book, The Little Book of Life After Death, he argues that the human being goes through three lives. There is a life before we are born, and in that life, we're completely unconscious. Then there is this life here on earth, and in this life, we spend half our life unconscious, asleep, and half of our life awake and alert and conscious. And in our third life, which he would regard as the afterlife, he said, there we are all conscious, completely conscious. Now, he went further than that even in his philosophical writing. And Fechner wrote a book called Zend Avesta. It's interesting he would choose that title because it's really the same title as some of the uh, great Persian works attributed to Zarathustra. Zarathustra. But it's the title that Fechner chose. And in it, he argues that just as humans have a soul and plants have a soul and animals, he would say, have a soul of sorts, the planet as a whole has a soul. Now, this is a very ancient idea, but he went on to suggest that the universe as a whole also has a soul, the soul of the universe. And that's what he described as God. So, he's thinking in very broad terms like this, doing rigorous scientific work, inspiring not only the uh, whole discipline of experimental psychology and, and certainly the thinking of William James, who, who was like Fechner, something of an iconoclast, a, a unique individual willing to explore areas where other people were afraid to tread. And Fechner himself, of course, was like that. So, he's an inspiration to me a very important yet neglected person in the history of psychology. I know when I studied his work as an undergraduate, the textbook sort of said, you know, he's this crazy guy who has offbeat, nonsensical ideas <laughs> like the soul life of plants. I'm inclined to think we need to take that idea very seriously, the idea that the planet might be conscious very seriously, the idea of the afterlife, very seriously, in my opinion. And these ideas combined with a scientific outlook really can be traced back to Fechner. And he was aware that he had these two different personalities, the mystic and the scientist. He felt that they were compatible with each other. And he, like William James, felt that the best way to um, ground that compatibility was to do away with materialist metaphysics. He described materialist metaphysics in his book, The Zend Avesta, as the uh, metaphysics of darkness. And he described the uh, idea of a 
the, the soul of the whole universe, the soul of the planet, the souls of stars and animals and plants, that he described as the metaphysics of daylight. Well, in closing, let me ask you this question. Have you in your life ever reached a point where you thought you might die? Were you ever near death? Have you ever come back from a terrible illness? Has it changed you in some important way? Or if you've never had such an experience, do you think that fact is, is an important part of your own biography? How would it be different if you had had a close brush with death if you have not? I'll leave you with those thoughts and thank you once again for being with me.